So as you know, we've been doing a series on discerning God's will and trying to pay attention to how you know when God's up to something in your life. How do we know when he's doing something that we need to pay attention to? What does it look like when God engages with a life? And so last week we looked at the life of Abraham, Abram, Abraham, and looked at all the ways in which God interacted with him and then learned from that how God interacts with us. This week we're going to look at the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And again, like we did last week, we're going to do a big overshot of Scripture. And so you're going to have a Bible. The black ones in front of you are the Bibles. And you're going to want to keep it out. You can turn to the Gospel of Luke, page 831. Page 831. We'll start there. Luke is the gospel that gives us the most information about Mary. There are a couple of uh, vignettes that we'll look at from John, but Luke is the one that really puts Mary right in the center of the story. And she comes into the story at verse 26. We don't know anything about her. She's not mentioned before. And then all of a sudden, boom, this is what happens. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the virgin, "Uh, question, Um, how can this be since uh, I'm a virgin? Am I supposed to marry somebody royal right now? Is that what's supposed to happen? How is, exactly, how is this going to happen for me? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Oh, okay. (laughs) Totally get that now. Yeah, that was totally in the sex ed class I took. (laughs) Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, have you ever had a moment where you thought, I wish God would just show up and tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do? I wish he would just like drop right in and tell me exactly, like send me an email, a text message, an angel, whatever it takes, that would be awesome. If you've ever asked that, you need to reread certain parts of scripture. Because every time God shows up in some really clear and direct way, like an angel, the angel almost always has to say to the person, uh, don't, be, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't, shh, shh. And then the angel goes on to tell the person that they've got to do something that's kind of crazy and nutty. Like, hey, you're going to have a baby. It's going to be great. Son of the Most High. Power of the Old Shadow You. Okay, I don't really know what that means. 
So Mary receives this, and she says, wow, this is, this is what's been talked about forever. This is what I've grown up hearing about, that someday the Messiah would come, and God's choosing me to do it. So this is turning out great for me. And so she sings this song on the next page, the, the Magnificat. And scholars have compared the contact content of the Magnificat to the Psalms and the prophets, and it's just riddled with all the promises that God has made to his people. And so Mary's thinking, yes, this is just what we expected. This is turning out awesome. This is great. Now, Joseph has to kind of be brought in, right? Angel has to appear to him in a dream a little more gently and say, it's okay, just take her in, right? So the two of them go off and they, they go to the town called Bethlehem where they're going to be registered and that's where she has the baby and she's like, okay, this is a little, not exactly what I thought would happen, but, you know, Bethlehem's nice, it's okay. This sheep pen is fine. And then after she gives birth, who comes tromping in but some shepherds who are full of news and excitement and they say, they've seen angels and now they're here because who else would know where a manger is but shepherds? And so they come exactly where she is and they're like, hey, did you just have a baby? Because people want, right after they've had a baby, you know what they want to have immediately? Visitors! <laughs> yes! I've never felt so horrible in my life. Please come in. Please. <laughs> so the shepherds go out, and then we have at chapter 2, verse 19, this wonderful phrase. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. So she's thinking, all right, okay, this is coming along well. This is, this is doing great. This is, this is about what I expected, you know, kind of cool stuff happening along the way. This is, this is about what I expected until we get to verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And Mary again is thinking, this is great. Yes, it's just we expected of the Messiah that people would recognize him and know him. This is awesome. This is great. <gasps> then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Oh, suddenly things are beginning to take a turn. Could you imagine if after you celebrated a baptism, one of the older members of your congregation came up and just patted the mom on the shoulder and said, lovely baby, you know, blessings upon you. This is going to cost you. This is going to cost you in ways that you cannot yet anticipate. You're going to hurt. You're going to hurt deeply. Oh, oh, is it time for the pictures now? Okay, I'll get out of the way. All right, that's good. 
right? I mean, it's like this, this, this beautiful moment of the circumcision and the blessing, and then there's this heaviness that just descends, and Mary's thinking, okay, not quite sure what's happening here. And then she starts to get to know this person that she's given birth to. We drop down to verse 41. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. Now, you know what happens. The festival ends. They go home with their family. They're about a day down, and they're like, has anybody seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Has anybody seen Jesus? And all the little boys are like, oh, I don't know. I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him. And they're like, when's your last time? I don't know. Like in Jerusalem, I don't really know. Like, you know, 12-year-old boys. And, and they're just in a panic. And they run back to Jerusalem, and they're looking all over for him. And they find him in the temple, verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And the words that are translated there as great anxiety are translated other places as deep pain. We've been through a significant ordeal. This has been a big problem for us. We have been out of our minds with worry. And Jesus says to them, also like a 12-year-old boy, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to him. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And she's thinking, okay, there are certain things in which I thought this, this is kind of how this would unfold. This is kind of what I expected. And now things are not going the way I expected at all. This kid doesn't, you know. The kid went back to school on a snow day to hang out with his teachers for fun. That's... That's what happened here. Passover is a festival. You don't have to go to school. You get to hang out with everybody. It's fun. There's food. There's games. There's play. And it would happen all the way back, all the way in the journey back. And he's like, you know, I would really like to stay in school a little bit longer and hang out with the teachers and learn a little bit more. She's like, that is not normal 12-year-old behavior. That's not normal 19-year-old behavior. Hmm. So then there's this interlude that John describes, page 863, if you want to follow along. Chapter 2 of the Gospel of John. Beginning to read at verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now you know what happens. They go and they fill the jugs and they dip them in and, and the water turns to wine and, and the guy's like, hey, why'd you bring the good wine out at the very end of the party? Because nobody cares anymore at the end of the party if the wine is good. Now, what happened when you went to a wedding is that, sure, the bride and the groom and their families would have stuff for you to eat and to drink, but if you were a good guest, you would bring stuff, all right? You would bring stuff, particularly if you happen to show up with, I don't know, 12 other people, 
It was etiquette to say, I'm going to bring enough, because weddings also lasted for quite a while, so I'm going to be sure that we've got enough stuff to cover me and my guys during this whole party. So Mary goes to him and says, they run out of wine, implying somebody here came with 12 people. And she probably thought that he would say to the servant, here's some money, we've made a little collection, go buy some more wine. That's probably thought what she thought would have happened. But that's not what happens. Suddenly, this son that she has known, who's now got these followers around him, somehow turns the water into wine. Okay. Verse 12. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they remained there a few days while Mary said to him, exactly how did you do that? And they read together the prophecies where the prophets said, when the Messiah comes, when the new age comes, when the new kingdom comes, grapes will turn into wine quickly. Wine will flow down quickly. And suddenly she began to think, this is not what I expected. And that's the first thing we observe from Mary's relationship with Jesus. Jesus does the unexpected. Jesus does the unexpected. And he doesn't just do it here for Mary. He continues to do it now. I had a friend who was out of work three months, six months, nine months, a year, and then he finally got another job. And when he and his wife sat down and looked at their finances over that year of unemployment, they realized that they should have run out of money about four months before he got his next job. And they said, why didn't we? Well, the whole time they had been tithing faithfully. Whatever came in, they tithed out. And then there were these really quirky things that happened, like bills that were supposed to be about this big turned out to be about this big. Unusual. Checks that they had not anticipated suddenly came in. And they were provided for. They were faithful, and Jesus was faithful back. Jesus did the unexpected. He got them four months farther than they should have gone. You've experienced this. Some of you signed up for an interim because it was the last one left, and you weren't very excited about it, and there you go, tromping off to that first date. It's at 8.30 for Pete's sake. And you walk in the room, and you start to listen, and you start to learn, and suddenly you think, Oh my goodness, this class is going to be amazing. This is going to change how I think about who I am and God and the world and all the things. All the things are different because of this class and I didn't even think I was going to be in it. Jesus does the unexpected. Over here, we have uh, representatives from Madison North. And Pastor Joy, shout out, raise your hand. Pastor Joy plants this church two years ago, two and a half years ago, two and a half years ago, and she's got a vision. She thinks she knows, this is kind of how this church is going to unfold, and Jesus goes, ha, 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 it's going to have lots of other things you weren't expecting, surprise, and here they all are. Two years later, she takes a flyer, the planting church takes a flyer, and Jesus does the unexpected, and now these elders are here serving communion. Jesus 
does the unexpected. This is really important to pay attention to. Some of you may have seen that article in Chimes. It was very long. I apologize about this question and answer for me. And at the very, very end, they asked me, what advice do you have for students? And if you remember, I wrote tons of advice. So just ask. But the last sentence was, it talked about how you cannot guarantee yourself a happy life at the age of 20 with the decisions you make. So just be faithful rather than worrying about being successful. And the reason for that is because Jesus does the unexpected. And you have no idea when your water is going to be turned into wine. You have no idea. Jesus does the unexpected. And so when it comes to following God's will for our lives, we can't try to hold on so tightly that our hands are closed to whatever he may want to put in them. Jesus does the unexpected. The story of Mary and Jesus continues. I'm going to read you now three passages, three short passages from the Gospel of Luke that Jesus says to his followers. And I want you to imagine that you're hearing them as if you were Mary. All right? You are Mary, the mother of Jesus, and here are three things that Jesus says. Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But Jesus said to them, my mother and my brothers are the, those who hear the word of God and do it. Imagine if that was your kid who said that. That stings a little bit. That feels a little like a, a piercing. Jesus is teaching. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that nursed you. But Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Wow. And in this, now large crowds were traveling with him and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Now, we've heard those words as disciples through the years, like Jesus is throwing it down, like we've got we to gotta hear and obey, and we've got to be the disciple. And we gotta... But imagine if you were Mary, and he's saying the real mark of discipleship is hating your mother. Now, in this culture, too, there was big esteem given to mothers. Even now, we know jokes about Jewish mothers being highly invested and highly involved in the lives of their children, and that is something that was going on even back then. And so when someone said, blessed is the womb that bore you and blessed are the breasts that nursed you, the right answer was yes. Yes, indeed. Why does Jesus say these things? 
because Jesus' mission matters more than her feelings. Jesus' mission matters more than her feelings. And you know what? His mission matters more than your feelings too. There's a big temptation to think that we have to feel a certain way about God. Like I have to feel God or I experience God or in some way get a, like a warm fuzzy when I come to worship. That, and then when I make a decision, I should just feel just, you know, peaceful about it. I should just be flooded with the warm and fuzzy feelings. Those of you who've been doing the Orberg study may remember this quote that was in the study uh, last week. He writes this. If having peace about it were the ultimate criterion for going through open doors, nobody in the Bible would have done anything God asked. The sequence in the Bible is usually not calling, deep feeling of peace about it, decision to obey, smooth sailing. (laughs) Instead, it's usually calling, abject terror, (laughs) decision to obey, big problems, more terror, second thoughts, repeat several times, deeper faith. (laughs) Jesus' mission matters more than your feelings. After Mother Teresa died, people went through her journals and went through her letters and they put together this amazing book of her life called Come Be My Light. And much to people's surprise when they read that book, they realized that apart from her first initial call, she went through decades where she did not feel God, didn't experience God, didn't hear Him. Decades. But she faithfully continued to carry out the initial call that He gave her to care for the poor, to bind up their wounds, to care for the orphans, to feed those who are hungry, to clothe the naked, to visit those in prison. She just kept doing the thing that God had given her to do regardless of how she felt about it. Because she knew that Jesus' mission mattered more than her feelings. In 21st century North America, that is a radical idea. That I would be involved in something, that I would be committed to something, that I would continue to carry out that promise, even if every day I didn't wake up feeling super good about it. Even if carrying out that mission and following that obedience didn't make me feel super happy all the time. And in fact, it costs me something. That is radical in the 21st century where we have been schooled to say it's all about you and make your own way, and if something doesn't make you feel happy, then just walk away from it. It's a radical thing to follow Jesus because his mission matters more than your feelings, and you're willing to say, that's okay. I will deny myself. I will take up my cross. I will follow him.
We don't know how Mary felt about these things. I'm sure she heard about them. I'm sure the people who heard about them, you know there's always somebody in every crowd who's willing to tell you exactly what your kids said about you. We don't know if she was like, well, that's part of his mission. He's on a bigger thing. Or if that was part of that. Oh, man. Well, we do know that Jesus cared deeply for her. People get a little concerned when he says the woman line. But in the Gospel of John, he addresses her that way twice. Once in chapter 2 and then again in chapter 19. Go there. Page 882. Page 882. Jesus is on the cross. We're at chapter 19, verse 25. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. You see, there was a legal right that someone dying had to kind of give their last will and testament, to take the things that were most precious to them and to pass them on. And so Jesus, right before he dies, he sees John, the beloved disciple, standing by his mom, and he uses very old Jewish family law language. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And the last thing that he does, he takes care of his mom. And he puts her in a family And she gets taken into this beautiful family. And the last time we hear from her or about her is just a couple pages later. Page 884, Acts chapter 1. Now Jesus has died, he's been risen, he's ascended to heaven. And then in Acts 1, verse 12, they pick up the story. Then they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they'd entered the city, when they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James, all these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. And that's the last we hear about her. She is taken into this family. And so she hears the testimony of the resurrection. She may have seen the resurrected Jesus. She heard them talk about his ascension. She was there when Pentecost happened. Because Jesus, on the cross, he takes her and he places her in a family a family that has now gotten kind of used to the fact that Jesus does the unexpected, a family that is very aware now 
that Jesus' mission matters more than their feelings. And a family that is very aware that in Jesus, new families are formed. Because on the cross, he creates a new family for her. But through the cross, he creates a new family for us. You are part of a new family because of that old rugged cross. The love that poured out wasn't just the love of forgiveness and the love that wipes away all sin and death and sorrow and woe. It's a love that forms a new family, a family that is looking toward the new heavens and the new earth, a family that knows you can lament and have hope, a family that knows death does not win. And you get to be part of that family This is really significant for anyone who's ever come from a dysfunctional family. That's all of you. Every one of us has come in some way from some earthly family that has somehow disappointed us, not quite been there. Even the good ones aren't all that fantastic all the time. And Jesus says, I'm about something bigger than this. And that's why he said, you've got to hate this earthly family. We are moving away from the idolization of the earthly family and we are moving towards something bigger, something greater, something deeper, something that will cost you everything and give you all you need. In this season of Lent, we think about what Jesus has done. And we come to this table together. We come to this table not as people from Borbenink or people from California or people from Canada or Ghana or people from Nocrest East. We don't come to this table because of our differences. We come to this table because of the love poured out on that old rugged cross that has made you my sister and you my brother. And so when you see the people who come up, that's your family. That's your family. Those are your people. And I'm going to guess there are going to be people who come up to the table tonight for whom Jesus is doing something unexpected and they're not quite sure that they like it. And I'm going to guess there are people who are coming up to this table and they're feeling like their feelings should matter a little bit more than they do. And there are going to be people who are coming up to this table who are in desperate need of a brother or a sister or a mother or a father. This is where Jesus meets us. This is where Jesus meets us. There's something really important and mysterious that happens when you take the bread and take the cup. The presence of Jesus Christ himself is here and he nurtures us through these elements in ways that brilliant theologians have not figured out. But they know that it's true and that it's real. That here, Jesus creates a family.
for you, for me. Thanks be to God.